In Matthew 10.34, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. And today, by the grace of God, I want to unsheathe the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows. Hebrews 4.12 Today I want us to be hewed by the word of God, to be slain by the words of his mouth, as Isaiah 6.5 tells us. I want us to be broken, to fall dying on the rock. Because as John 12.24 says, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now Paul tells us, speaking of the last days, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 5, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, because many shall come, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And James 1.26 says that if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, He deceives his own heart and his religion is in vain. Now many today who claim to be a child of God are self-deceived. Their belief is in vain. Their religion is superficial. It's but a hollow, empty form of godliness. Now we may think our salvation is sure because we believe in God and his word. We may even religiously attend church and keep the Sabbath and tithe in mint and anise and cumin and may be able to recite scriptures from memory as did the Jews, and even compass sea and land to win souls. But it is just a form, an appearance of godliness, that denies the power of God in word and action. They are no more than whited sepulchres, that appear outwardly righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. While professing to be saved, and appearing outwardly righteous in their hearts. They are what Second Timothy 3 tells us. They are lovers of their own selves. They are covetous. They are boastful. They are proud. They are blasphemers. They are disobedient to parents. They are unthankful. They are unholy. They have no natural affection. They are truth breakers. They are false accusers. They are fierce. They are despisers of those that are good. They are heady. They are high-minded. They love pleasure more than they love God. Such a religion is worthless. Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Yet they cry, just believe and accept that you are saved by Christ's death on the cross. There is nothing more to do. But the Bible says we are not saved by his death. Romans 5.10 For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Christ's death does not save us. The cross is only the means by which Christ obtained the right to begin the work of salvation in us, the right to become the author of salvation, the right to begin the work of restoring 
the image of God in us. The power of God was not revealed in Christ's death, but in his life. As Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And Luke 4.32, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Unless Christ lives his life in us and through us, we have but an empty form of godliness and deny the power thereof. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you the hope of glory. Romans 8, 9. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Matthew 28, 18, after his resurrection. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Only those in whom Christ is resurrected in their hearts can reveal the power of God as Christ lives his life anew through them. To share in the power of his resurrection, we must, like him, first die. Philippians 3.10 That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Romans 6.4 Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that... Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of his Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin." Galatians 5.24 And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. To reveal the power of God, to share in the power of his resurrection, by which Jesus Christ is born again in our hearts, we must first need to share in the likeness of his death. Without sharing in his death, we can only ever have but a hollow form of godliness. There will be no newness of life no victory over the flesh. Instead of sharing in his life, the works of the flesh we will do, pride, selfishness, high-mindedness, loves the pleasures, we will have taken the name of Christ upon us in vain. Signs of the Times, 1890, 24th February says, So deceitful is the human heart, so skillfully do the cherished passions justify themselves, that many will pass on in deception satisfied with a counterfeit religion and fraudulent sanctification until probation closes and the harvest is past. The scripture commands us, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove yourselves. Know you not your own selves how that Christ is in you except ye be reprobates? Can I know for sure if Christ is in me? Or if I have a just a form of godliness we can know if we are sharing in the likeness of his death have we been crucified with him or not no man can serve two masters either Christ reigns or self reigns it cannot be both if we are not living his life if we are not sharing in the likeness of his death it is because we are reprobates those in whom Christ dwells will walk as he walked not in external works, 
They will reflect Christ in their innermost being. Our hearts will beat in time with his heart. His thoughts will be our thoughts. His feelings will be our feelings. His choices will be our choices. Can we look into the mind of Christ? Can we know his thoughts? Can we know his feelings? Can we know his choices? 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. To have the mind of Christ is to share in the likeness of his death. What is the likeness of his death? Now Jesus was, as Revelation 13.8 says, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He is the dying lamb of God. But it's not his death on the cross why he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was not just the dying lamb of God as some may think he is because behind every step or every choice, every word, before him was the great object of his life, his decease on the cross. That's not why he's the dying lamb of God. The cross was just the end of a very long road. At the very moment of Adam's transgression, Christ took upon himself the penalty for sin. What was that penalty? Genesis 2.17 For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But the Hebrew doesn't say thou shalt surely die. It says, dying ye shall die. This is the likeness of his death which we must share. At the very moment Christ chose to become the ransom for man, at that moment he began to die. At that moment he chose forever to die to his deity. At that point he began to die. He chose to forever become a man, to give up his omnipresence, his omnipotence, the very attributes of God. We cannot even imagine it. The creator of heavens and earth gave up his divine power and majesty to become a vile worm. It was a much greater sacrifice, an eternal death to self that will never be required of us. That was but the beginning of his dying, the first step in the path of the cross. Because it was not enough for him to simply become a mortal man made in the image of God. He took on our sinful nature that for 4,000 years had he generated man and almost completely obliterated that image of God. Romans 8.3 For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Hebrews 2.16 For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And Romans 1.3 says that he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. What is that flesh? We read about that flesh in Romans 7.18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but to perform that which is good I find not. In Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, 
and Jeremiah 17.9 For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And there are many today who deny that Christ came in sinful flesh, which is why Second John 1.7 says, For many deceivers are entered in the world to confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. It is from the corruption within our own flesh that our temptations arise, not from without. Being made in the likeness of sinful flesh, Christ said to struggle like we do against his own flesh. James 1.13 Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. When it says he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that's not necessarily saying that he's touched with the feelings of being tired or being hungry, but that's the infirmities of the flesh. What are the infirmities of our flesh? It's pride, it's selfishness. It's self-confidence. It's love of pleasure. Hebrews 2.18 For in that he himself suffered, and that word means vexed, being tempted, is able to secure them that are tempted. Do you think that the Almighty, the Eternal, the Pure and Holy One took any pleasure in the weak, corrupt, sinful flesh he was to take upon himself? No, infinitely no. His infinite perfection and purity recoil from the horrific thought. Yet, for your sakes and mine, he consented to take our corrupt flesh, like you and me, to show us the way back to God. Christ had no confidence in his flesh, no confidence in himself. This is why as a man he could not trust his own will nor had any strength in his flesh to do God's will, nor could he speak his own words. Philippians 3.3 Paul tells us that he has no confidence in the flesh. Jesus said in John 6.38 For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 5.30 says I can of my own self do nothing. And John 14.10 The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself. You see, it was not just the weight of the wooden cross that with every step crushed and oppressed the soul of Jesus and brought him down to the ground. It was not the agonizing walk to Golgotha one Friday night that his pure soul recoiled from. It was the cross of sinful flesh that he carried for 33 years, the corrupt human nature that was a drag on his righteous soul that constantly weighed him down. This is what Jesus meant when he declared, Take up your cross and follow me. In Desire of Ages it says that without the presence of his Father, Christ feared that in his human nature he would be unable to endure the coming conflict with the powers of Satan. Many look upon this conflict between Christ and Satan as having no special bearing on their own life, and for them it has little interest. But within the domain of every human heart, this controversy is repeated. For 4,000 years, the race had been decreasing in physical strength, in mental power and moral worth. 
and Christ took upon him the infirmities of degenerate humanity. Only thus could he rescue man from the lowest depths of his degradation. Our Saviour took humanity with all its liabilities. We have nothing to bear which he has not endured. His human nature shrank from the conflict that awaited him. In our own strength it is impossible for us to deny the clamours of our fallen nature. Christ knew that the enemy would come to every human being to take advantage of hereditary weakness and by his false insinuations to ensnare all those who trust not in God. And by passing over the ground which man must travel, our Lord has prepared the way for us to overcome. What do you think Christ felt about his human flesh? Was he proud of it? Do you think that as a man... He who had designed the heavens and the earth and all that in them is, and who in heaven knew all things, was proud of the wisdom and knowledge he possessed? Do you think that as a man, the Almighty, whose word had been with power, for he spake and it was done, was satisfied with the weakness of his flesh? Do you think that as a man, who in heaven had been crowned with glory and honour, whom the angels worshipped, would be pleased with the appearance of his body? Do you think that as a man who had inspired the psalmist, who put the words in the mouths of the prophets, who taught the birds to sing, was content with his own eloquence? Do you think that as a man, he who is a consuming fire unto whom sinful flesh cannot approach, would be pleased with his own flesh? How could Jesus in his flesh, looking back to the perfection, the holiness, the glory and power and wisdom that had been in the courts of heaven, do anything other than abhor himself? and longed to be restored to the pure atmosphere of heaven. Do you think Christ longed to be saved from his own flesh? Did he hate it? Have you seen from where you yourself are fallen? Have you seen the perfection of beauty? Have your eyes been opened to the glory that is set before you? Do you long to be restored to the image of God? Have you seen the corruption of your own soul? Or... Has sin blinded your eyes to the purity and holiness of heaven? Do you abhor yourself? Do you hate your life in this world enough to share in the likeness of his death? If not, you are still in the flesh. You are not Christ's disciple. You have never been born again. Review and Herald, September 25, 1900. He who does not abhor himself cannot understand the meaning of redemption. In John 12, 25, Jesus said, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus said, If any man come to me and hate not his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Letters in Manuscript, Volume 14, 1899 says, Christ has himself travelled over the path in which he calls us to walk. He says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. As I endured the test and trial, so you may endure it. It was the same experience in Job's case. In Job 42, 1-6, we read, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, I say, that will be the experience of everyone 
And it is not an experience simply once in a lifetime. It is not simply the experience that comes at conversion. But every time that one catches a glimpse of the glory and purity of Jesus Christ, he can but abhor himself. I am really troubled to know how to find words to express these things. It is necessary to present before our minds the need of self-abhorrence for those who stand in the presence of God. General Conference Daily Bulletin, February 2, 1893, page 104. No man can die to self. No man can show in the likeness of his death unless he first abhor himself. He must first realize the corruption, the deceitfulness of self, and hate it so much as to continually desire to be free from himself. This is the mind of Christ. This is the mind of those to whom Christ has been revealed, those who have been born again. See Christ pleading in agony with God, sweating great drops of blood. Not my will, but thine be done. Luke 22:42. Why do you think Jesus spent entire nights in prayer? As we're told in Hebrews 5, 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. This verse makes no sense if we believe it says that Jesus wanted to be saved from dying and that he was heard because of his prayers because he wasn't heard, he did die. This verse only makes sense to say that Jesus wanted to be saved from eternal death. And the only way he could be saved from eternal death was by the means of death to himself. In fact, the word from, which says to be saved from death, can actually be translated, and is translated in the Bible many times as by when he offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him by death and was heard in that he feared. His prayer was heard. He died to self. The ultimate death. A continual dying to self. Dying you shall die. That was the form of his death. The likeness of his death. Only as Christ died to self continuously could God dwell in him? Only as we died to self continuously could God dwell in us. Only then could the life of God, God's will, God's word, God's work, God's power be manifest in and through Christ. John 14.10 The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Only as we share in his life of continual death to self can we share in the likeness of his death. Saint Corinthians 4.10 Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. If Christ, the dying Lamb of God, dwells in us, his life and death will be manifest in us. The power of God will be revealed. John 14.12 Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, 
and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now of my ourselves we cannot die to self, only as we abhor ourselves and repent in dust and ashes and cry out in anguish of soul for deliverance from ourselves with God like he did, do we have any share with Christ. You see, this is the secret of true repentance. Behold now Christ in his humiliation, in his life. Because those who are born again in whom Christ lives will share in the manner of his life. Behold him now in his life. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And we, we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The hearts of those that share in the likeness of Christ's death are like parched, dry ground. We are destitute of the Holy Spirit. But if we are willing to receive Christ, the new birth will germinate in our hearts and grow up like a tender plant into a fruitful tree. It is a tender plant. It needs to be watered daily with our tears as we see our desperate need to be saved from our own selves. As the image of Christ grows in us, our self-confidence will diminish as we realise the depravity of our own hearts and we die an ever greater death to self. Our neighbours will despise and reject those in whom Christ dwells. They despise the way of the cross, the continual dying to self of those who have set their feet on that path. There is nothing in Christ that appeals to the unconverted, nor to those who have but a form of godliness. They look upon God's afflicted as cursed of God, they accuse them of being unbalanced, of being deranged, of having a devil. They find fault with the clothing of those in whom Christ dwells, with what they do, with what they see, and even with what they believe. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Like him we shall know grief and sorrow and mourn over ourselves when we see our depravity and our desperate need to be saved from ourselves. As our eyes are open and we see ourselves more clearly, we shall sigh and cry because we have dishonoured God's name among the heathen and by those who are called by his name. The surrounding apostasy will oppress our souls. We shall be grieved that we do not have more power to turn the overflowing tide of sin and evil that is sweeping away all that is good and true. We will be conscious of the wounds that our transgressions have caused us and the weight of our iniquities that we ourselves have laid upon our hearts and will cause us to cry out for deliverance from sin and self. Five Testimonies 2.10 says, The class who do not feel grieved over their own spiritual declension, nor mourn over the sins of others, will be left without the seal of God. Those who share in the likeness of his death will be those 
who know what it means when Joel 2.12 says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. There are those who know what, it, what James meant when he wrote in James 4.9, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And they will know what it means to receive the spirit of Zechariah 12.10 where it says and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications and thou shalt look upon me whom they have pierced and thou shalt mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. But he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The chastisement of God is upon those who are sharing the likeness of his death. But they do not complain, as a sheep before its shearers, for they know that they deserve nothing else, because they know that they are unprofitable servants, that they are the chief of sinners. Instead, they rejoice that God dwells with them as a father, for he must purge them, that through stripes we might be healed of our soul sickness, and purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness, that as sons and daughters we must learn obedience by the things which he suffered." For all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one unto his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those who are Christ know that they are the lost sheep that the good shepherd has left heaven to save. They know they are, but at the peril of their lives, surrounded by the darkness and deceitfulness of this world where the devil goes around as a roaring lion seeking to devour them, as a wolf in sheep's clothing seeking to deceive them. They know that Satan's greatest ally, their greatest enemy, is their own flesh, their own ideas, their own ways. They know they are blind and poor and naked and know that their weakness, that their own heart is deceitful above all things which has often led them to turn to their own way, a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. They cry out unto him day and night, Spare me, O God, and save me from myself. And he was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a slam to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. For he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Now Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And Jesus says, Remember the word that I said unto ye, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Why is it that today we who claim to be Christ's followers do not suffer persecution? Those who, in whom Christ lives will, will go to prison, to judgment, and be condemned as evildoers, heretics, criminals, and will lose their lives for his sake. Their names will be classed with the wicked, but they count it all joy to suffer together with Christ. God is pleased with the sacrifice of his saints, the blood of martyrs is seed, their dying to self that others might live. It is in this act alone that God's will can be fulfilled, that many transgressors be brought to repentance. Like Christ, for the sake of the lost, his followers will pour out their souls unto death as he did. Through sharing in the likeness of his death, as righteous servants, they will bring many sons to glory. Each day they are to set their steps in the way of the cross, dying to self that Christ may live through them, that his mighty power to recreate man in his own image may be manifest and his name alone be glorified. Behold now Christ in his glory. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. Behold him in his glory. Behold the selfless dying Lamb of God. For you and I, Christ stretched out his mighty arm and embraced loathful, sinful flesh, binding it to himself and plunged himself headfirst into the abyss that was the penalty for sin, that sinful flesh might be destroyed in himself, unless by some means he could free his soul from the grip of sinful flesh, his eternal death was certain. He could not see past the portal of the tomb, but through God's power he expelled self from his own soul, perfecting selflessness. The lake of fire into which he plunged consumed his sinful flesh and self from which it was inseparable but could not hold his selfless soul which arose in victory and glory. He has led the way and shows us who are in bondage to our sinful flesh how we too may pass from death unto life and share in his glory by pleading with God in strong cries and tears to expel self from our own souls. Hebrews 5.9 And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Christ's glory was in taking sinful flesh, the result of sin, and its penalty in its fullness of dying ye shall die. It was in his continual dying to self that God could be revealed through his life and his name alone be glorified. It is only as we understand the likeness of Christ's death, the nature of his suffering, that we see the glory of the Lord. Then, as we put on the mind of Christ and share in his suffering, that we are changed into his glorious image. 1 Peter 4.1 For as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with open face beholding in the glass the glory of the Lord are changed unto the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. 
Christ says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and sat down with my Father in his throne. And First Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. What is his example? How did he overcome? Watch him in the garden of Gethsemane dying to self gaining the victory by his pleading with God and with strong crying and tears. Jesus invites us to join him in his passion, to die to self together with him. He said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. But even Christ's closest disciple could not understand Christ. Self had blinded them to the most essential truths of salvation and their own desperate need. In verse 40, He cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter believed that Christ had come to save him, not from himself, but in himself. He did not understand. No, more than that, he rejected the need to take up the cross and follow Christ to death. It was a bitter lesson that he had to learn. See now Peter before the palace of the high priest. Hear him for the third time with vulgar language deny Christ. Now he saw himself as he really was. Follow him now as he makes his way to Gethsemane. Watch him fall on the rock and weep bitterly. No more the self-confident disciple. No more sure of himself. No more blind to the depravity of his own heart. A broken spirit, a contrite heart, thou, O Lord, will not despise. He had finally learnt the lesson, self must die that Christ may live. Peter now had the mind of Christ. Now he could share in the likeness of Christ's death. Now Christ could be reborn in his heart and live his life through him. He was now ready to take up his cross and share in Christ's glory. Are you like Peter, satisfied with your form of godliness and see no need, nor have any desire to be saved from self, that the life and death of Christ may be seen in you? Early writings, page 7, those who are willing to believe their, their condition is far better than it really is will come up to the time of the falling of the plagues and then see that they needed to be hewed and squared for the building. But there will be no time then to do it and no mediator to plead their cause before the Father. Today Christ invites us to watch with him, 
to share in his sorrow, to plead in bloody agony with God to save us from our own selves. It is a death and life struggle. God's Amazing Grace, page 318. Go to your closet and there alone plead with God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Be earnest, be sincere. Fervent prayer availeth much. Jacob-like, wrestle in prayer. Agonize. Jesus in the garden sweat great drops of blood. You must make an effort. Those in whom Christ dwells will have his mind and will overcome as he overcame. If we do not abhor ourselves, we will not with strong crying and tears plead with God as he did, that self might die and that Christ may live and his power be revealed through us and his name alone be glorified. For too long Christ has been standing without the door, waiting to come in, but we have kept him waiting. Many are content with a theory of Christianity, a veneer of supposed faith, a superficial religion that claims salvation not from self but in self. They do not desire the mind of Christ. They want a form of godliness that denies the power of God to recreate man in his own image. They look for a wide gate and a broad way, one that is wide enough for flesh to enter into, where self does not need to be left behind. Christ said, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go therein, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few that be that find it. How much longer will Christ wait on the other side of the door? Will he pass you by? Will you plead with God today to share in the likeness of his death so that the power and life of Christ may arise in your heart? The choice is before you. Will you die to self or will you die together with self in the lake of fire? Choose ye this day.